Thank you. What a great morning. Yeah, baby dedications. We got some friends in the house. What a good morning. What a good morning. And thank you for the presentation. You know, I, I said this earlier, and I believe it's true. You know, we're called to, to heal and to save people, and I also believe that we're called to heal and save systems. And there's gaps in the systems all over the place. And this is one of the ways that we begin to disciple and transform societies by stepping into these gaps. And that's beautiful, beautiful what's happening. I have, I have the high honor and privilege to be able to work for Set Free Alaska. And I'm hearing testimonies and stories of people's lives that have been absolutely shattered and being restored by the love of God. People's lives or families, it's, uh, it's super humbling to just sit and listen. So what an awesome morning. You know, a couple of uh, a couple of funny things happened this morning after first service. And so, first of all, I had two people come up to me and said, "You you look nice this morning." And so, <laughs> so I, I, I just, you know, suppose we can just put it out there. If if I'm not wearing flannel or a hoodie, you could probably assume that I'm going to be doing something here this morning, right? <laughs> but then I had a thought. You know, like I've got a couple people that I admire: Mike Bickle, Albert Einstein. And Steve Jobs, they wear the same thing all the time. You ever think about that? They wear the same thing because the, the thought is, I, I just, you know, I can't afford to be taking my brain space with things that just really aren't that important. I've, I've got to be thinking about all these other important things. Like, who cares what I'm wearing? So to me, that's kind of genius, right? Maybe, oh, maybe it's just me. Like, I don't want to have to think about, you know, what I'm going to wear. I just want to put my, my mind into stuff that matters. So anyway, I like flannel and I like hoodies, right? That's what makes... Uh, makes uh, Alaska, Alaska. What is it usually for weddings? It's like, what do you wear? Just wear your nice car hearts, right? To the wedding. <laughs> you got to love that in Alaska. Uh, the other was, uh, I was um, notified that I preached first service with my fly down. <laughs> I didn't either. So Dennis came up to me after. He's like, yeah, I, you know. I was like, why didn't you say anything? So you could have, he's like, I didn't know how. I'm like, you could have told me. I'm like, oh my gosh. So, you know, I, uh, so afterwards we were laughing. I had to, I I thought about the profound wisdom of uh, the band Aerosmith. It says, you don't get a bellyache from eating humble pie. So there you have it. It happens. I don't know how it happens, but I suppose it happens, right? We're going to talk about the love of God this morning. We're going to talk about the love of God. We're going to talk about love that surpasses knowledge, a love that surpasses anything, a love that compels me to move outside of my own comfort zones, and a love that helps me understand even just embracing the mystery, a love that surpasses knowledge down to my light that, what did we sing first service? Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain or I can't control. A love of God that has no fear of death, the love of God that transforms society. So last year, I think it's probably safe to say for however you experienced last year, it felt like there was a torpedo to society, right? And we're still kind of sorting through the debris. And, you know, whatever that looks like for you, there's many different things that have come up, but I start thinking about like, man, what's going on? And January, things started to hit me pretty hard and had some good conversations with my wife and uh, the conversation's like, can I tell you how I'm experiencing you? And which is code for, hey, Jack, you need to t- chill out, right? <laughs> so, and I knew it, but I was like, you know, you know, when the Lord is zigging and you're zagging, I'm like, all right, I, gotta, I need to reset here. 
So, you know, just experiencing, like thinking about like Psalm 45, right? It says that he loves righteousness, talking about Jesus. He loves righteousness and he hates lawlessness and hates wickedness. But therefore he's been anointed with the oil of joy, right? The fervent bliss of heaven's gladness more than anybody else. And I'm finding myself extremely indignant over what's happening and hating, hating wickedness, but not having a greater love for righteousness or experiencing the joy of my salvation. I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm the problem, right? Not whatever else is happening out there. It problems me. And I need a reset. And um, back in January, I just had to sit down for a second. I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm like, I, I need some help. I need to be able to see. I don't understand what's going on. I mean, taking a look at all the th- different things that are happening, one of the things even being like the church being deemed non-essential, Do we ever think that we would live in a time that the very thing that Jesus said he would build, gave his life for to die for, is being deemed non-essential? You know, like the side topics of mask, no mask, like, you know, I don't know. The church is being deemed non-essential. That started to bother me at a deep level, like, oh my God. Like, it's John 1. Jesus came into his own, and his own didn't recognize him. It's the same thing all over again. I'm like, Lord, help. I don't understand. I mean, I, I even said this earlier too. Like we got pot shops popping up all over the place, like legalized marijuana, right? And stuff. I'm like, so I start asking myself these questions. Like how much weed do Alaskans smoke? Like what's going on with our fellow Alaskans? Like what, what's the deal? And who's in charge of zoning? Who thought it was a good idea to put them across the street from each other? Like, does anybody else ask those questions when you're driving down the road? I'm like, I don't understand what's happening here. But like, there's just such a, like a, a, a desire for lesser loves. I'm like, God, you got to, what you did for my life, rescuing me from self-destructive lifestyle, doing this, doing in Alaska, God, to snatch the appetite for lesser loves right out of people's mouths. So, however, you know, we're experiencing, like, this isn't, like, we did a, we fasted and prayed for 40 days. We prayed Isaiah 9 2. Out of darkness, people would see a great light. I'm like, this doesn't look like that. You know, and where do we put these things when things don't go the way we think they should? So I just sat down sometime in January and I just sat, I was like, Jesus, I need you. I can't see. I'm poor, blind, and naked. And I just, I heard the words, they had been with Jesus. And I knew that was from Acts 4. Peter and John healed the dude at the gate beautiful. And, and I just, I knew it was that story. And I just looked at it and, you know, Peter preaches the gospel after they heal the guy. And there's, think about the, the power and the awkwardness of that moment simultaneously. You know, you've got these guys and it was obvious to everyone that this wonderful thing happened because everybody knew who this crippled dude was. But it was, what was more obvious was they had been with Jesus. We can't explain what's going on here. We don't understand everything, but those dudes had been with Jesus. I'm like, is there a greater compliment that could be given to us? Like when people in- encounter us and through our organizations and schools and whatever, like when they look at us, they say, that, that's what Jesus looks like. Those people have been with Jesus. And I had, to, I had to reset. And like in the midst of all the turmoil and everything else, I'm like, if I don't have that, then I'm nothing, right? I'm a, I'm a clanging symbol. If I don't have love, I got nothing. And then a couple of weeks ago, we had worship going on here. And uh, I walked in the door on, on Sunday night and I could just, I could feel the grace in the room from the Lord. It was amazing. And during worship, Nathan was singing, right? Uh, Take a moment to remember who God is and who I am. 
there you go, lifting my load again. And I could feel like I was just carrying something I shouldn't be carrying. And I heard the father say to me, he said, revival isn't your job, it's my job. And I just, I just broke. I'm like, wow, thank you. That's not my job. It's your job. That's good. My job is to love and show up, love well. I had a good talk with a friend of mine recently who had a really hard year last year, professionally, personally, being under attack, sitting in on council board meetings and being like personally and professionally attacked, like openly mocked, you know, and just kind of listening to tell the story. And he said uh, at the end of the story, like Jesus started talking to him and he was reminded of the story in Matthew 11 where Jesus says, blessed are those who are not offended because of me. The story is John the Baptist is thrown in prison and he sends his disciples out to ask, like, Jesus, are you the one or should we look for somebody else? Well, it wasn't too, too farther back in the story where he was just baptizing Jesus, one of the most profound moments in human history. And now here John is sometimes shortly thereafter going, are you the one or like, what's the deal? Jesus didn't go visit John in prison. You ever think about that? What would have been wrong with Jesus going to visit John in prison? I don't know, maybe nothing, but he didn't. Does that mean Jesus was some sort of glorified spiritual jerk? Or does that mean like there must have been a reason why he didn't do it? Think about John. John's like, I ate bugs and honey for this. Like, I, you know, like this is not how I scripted this thing going here. So Jesus said, all this wonderful stuff is happening, but blessed are those who are not offended because of me. I'm like, oh my gosh, think about that, right? We don't understand his timetable, his thoughts or his ways. The way that we do is by intimacy and love and even be able to just surrender when we don't understand, but because of love, we can get to a point where I love you and I'm surrendered no matter what. And so today we're gonna to talk about a love of God that overcomes all of that. One of uh, another famous verse that we quote, right? Proverbs 13, hope deferred makes a heart sick, right? But when desire comes, it's a tree of life. Well, I've had my measure of hope deferred, but I also realized that that door got cracked open and heart sickness dropped in. I'm like, oh, I didn't see that. All the stuff under the iceberg, you know? It's what was under the iceberg that sank the Titanic, right? You gotta pay attention to all that stuff and I just kind of let stuff slide. And so, where was I going? Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, I don't wanna have heart sickness and I don't wanna have hope deferred. I want a love that surpasses knowledge. I want a love that's stronger than death. We have access to that. So I started kind of just this morning looking at, man, some of the results of my own life of hope deferred and heart sickness. Man, fear and unbelief. I've realized recently that I had a fear of death. Like, I don't want to have a fear of death. Like, I want to, of not doing the things that I want to do or what's going to happen to my family. I got to be able to let go of all of that and just like trust the Lord with more than anything else. Irresponsibility circle. We heard... That one's fun, isn't it? You guys know what that is? Danny Silk's materials? When you think like a victim, there always has to be a bad guy. I don't want to break that down right now, but it's actually... Do that on your own time. DannySilk.com, right? Bad theology, emotional sickness, immaturity, and I would add constipation. Has anybody felt emotionally constipated? Or is it just me? We just kind of like bad stuff happens and you're like, uh, well, I guess that didn't work out and we just kind of trudge along and don't take the time to sort through it, not a good practice. I'm not going to recommend that because I am learning that emotional maturity and spiritual maturity are eternally handcuffed. 
striving and disobedience. My gosh. When I, start take, when I start moving into striving, I'm actually being a disobedient to the last word of the Lord. And essentially what I'm saying well, is, well, God, if you're not going to do anything, then I got to do something. I've done that. It's, I wouldn't recommend it. Cold love. Jesus said like a lot of bad stuff's going to happen in Matthew 24, but the love of many will grow cold. He's not talking about people that were never in love. He's talking about people that were in love. If we don't take care of our hearts and our minds, that's what happened. There's no outflow. We're not able to, to make time for organizations like this because my heart is so sick and clogged that I don't care about anybody else, right? And no joy. Joy of our salvation. Jesus was anointed with more oil, the oil of joy more than anybody else. And he lived under constant death watch, being constantly misunderstood, and, uh, and everything else. Jesus was trafficked. You ever think about that? He was sold for 30 pieces, of, 30 pieces of silver. Jesus was trafficked. He knows what that, what that feels like. I'll put that someplace for another time. So what I would suggest, what I want to talk about is the remedy. We can talk about results of heart sickness. I don't want to talk about that anymore. I want to talk about remedies, yes. right? Let's talk about remedies. It's the love of God. First one, so three things we're going to move through quick. One, Tending our gardens. This is the first battleground, the garden of my heart and the garden of my thought life, right? We can talk about spiritual warfare and taking on territorial, regional, demonic principalities. I would suggest that the first battleground is in our mind. Before we go there, we got to start right there. My wife said this to me recently the other day. She's going through uh, uh, Dr. Leaf's Carolyn Leaf's materials, and she said, what I think about the most grows. That's a frightening thought. Wonderful and frightening at the same time. But what I'm realizing from my own life, right, is we get excited about something and usually almost instantly we're met with disappointment. And in that moment, and Carla shared this with us at equipping classes, we get a choice. We either disengage or we get to grow. And that choice is ours. And that choice always has to do with the condition of the soil in our heart and in our mind. Jesus told lots of parables about agriculture. And most of the time when he talked about them, he talked about seeds and growing and all this stuff. But usually, if you notice, the, po the, the power is in the seed. The issue is never with the seed being able to, to reproduce. It's the condition of the soil. So it's my job to keep my heart tender. So in that, going back to the verse, Proverbs 13, 12, like when desire comes, it's a tree of life. I heard a testimony from Rick Pino. He got to a, they, had, they got a breakthrough with having kids. And he asked the Lord, like, well, why is, it, why is de desire and breakthrough and answer to prayer uh, pictured as a tree? And the Lord told him that every promise, every promise from God starts with a seed. Your job is to add your faithfulness. I'm like, oh man, so that opens up a whole other conversation with the Lord. Where have I been disobedient? Where have I been unfaithful? Where have I, you know, not prayed long, not, not prayed through or whatever? And so number one, tend your gardens. The gardens of your heart and the garden of your mind. Taking thoughts captive, 2 Corinthians 10, I'm not going to go there. Number two, the power of community and discipleship. We're moving towards being a discipleship house of being disciples that make disciples of other people in the ordinary places of life, in society, discipling society. I love this picture of actually demonstrating the Father's love in society. It's just beautiful. 
And part of the three of the components of discipleship being joy, radical joy, love for one another, a chesed that's a glue that's just stronger than anything else, and group identity. My wife's been teaching a lot about this on, on Tuesday nights. That kind of chesed that's like Acts 20 chesed, like when Paul's praying, and he's, I think it's Ephesus, he's leaving, and he, they pray with their friends, and then they said they had to tear themselves away from each other because he was getting on a ship to go someplace else. And I've asked myself at times, like, man, who are the people in my life that I would have to tear myself away from if I wasn't going to see them anymore? Have those kind of relationships in your life, the power of community. Number three is where we want to go. We want to talk about intimacy and love. This is the ultimate cure for heart sickness and hope deferred. Go to Philippians 1. Please. The Lord told me to read Philippians for April. Um, yeah, for April. And I have not been able to get out of the first chapter as I start thinking about Paul's life. If you look at his apostolic resume of 2 Corinthians 6, shipwrecked, abandoned, beaten, starving, cold, hungry, uh, whipped, I think four or five different times. There's a story of him in Acts, I think 14 or 15, where he was stoned and dragged outside the city and left for dead. The disciples prayed over him. He was supernaturally healed and he went back into the city. Like, I don't know if I would have done that. I probably just would have moved on. He went back in. Like, what compels somebody to do that? You know, what compels somebody to write the things that he writes that we're going to read here in a minute? There's got to be something other than that's so consuming, so deep, so profound, that's not attached to anything else. It's just attached to Jesus and helps us actually navigate the things that we can't explain. Well, we can live in the tension of I can have more questions than answers and I still trust God. Right? I heard Bill Johnson say this, that trust, trust says, I don't understand. Ever think about that? I haven't defined trust that way. Usually I, I trust what I know. Trust with the Father is, I, I'm, I'm trusting you with everything that I don't know. So we're going to jump right into this. Verse 12, Philippians 1. I want you to know, dear ones, what has happened to me has not hindered but help my ministry of preaching the gospel, causing it to expand and spread to many people. For now the elite Roman guards and government officials overseeing my imprisonment have plainly recognized that I am here because of my love for the anointed one. Uh, everybody in the prison knows why he's there. Right? Witness to your executioner. And what I'm going through has actually caused many believers to become even more courageous in the Lord and to be bold and passionate to preach the word of God because of my chains. We're going to skip over a couple of verses. He starts talking about, like, you know, people are preaching the gospel for different reasons. They want to verify my imprisonment. Others just love the Lord. And he's like, I don't even care. In spite of all of this, I'm overjoyed. What does it matter as long as Christ is being preached? I find it interesting from a guy that was very quick to correct. If you read First and Second Corinthians, he corrected Paul very quickly. Like For him to get to a point in his life that he's like, who cares? All press is bad press. As long as Jesus is being preached, that's all I care about. Like His main thing was that the gospel was moving forward and that his ability to do that was somewhat limited because he was in prison. If they preach with mixed motives, it doesn't even matter. I'm going to continue to rejoice, verse 19, because 
I know that the lavish supply of the spirit of Jesus, the anointed one, and your intercession for me will bring about my deliverance. And no matter what, I will continue to hope and passionately cling to Christ so that he will be openly revealed through me before everyone's eyes. I will not be ashamed, so I will not be ashamed. In life or death, Christ will be magnified in me. My true life is the anointed one, and dying means gaining more of him. We've heard this, right? Everybody knows this, right? To live as Christ and to die as gain. I don't think I've ever actually understood the power of what he's saying and the cost to him personally. It's been very easy for me to reduce that to like bumper sticker faith. I'm like, I can't, I can't live that way. I want a love that's stronger than anything else because here he talks. So here's my dilemma, verse 22. Each day I live means bearing more fruit in my ministry for you, but yet I fervently long to be liberated from this body and fully joined to Christ. That would suit me just fine, but the greatest advantage to you would be that I remain alive. So you can see why I'm torn between the two. I don't know which I prefer. It almost sounds ridiculous when we read it out loud, doesn't it? For someone to be that, do you, I don't think that way. Like it's better for you that I'm here, but I can't wait to be with Jesus. I'd rather go right now. I, I don't live with that kind of tension, with that kind of burning. I just got to be as close to him as humanly possible. And the best way for that to be for happen is if I wasn't here. But in the meantime, let's, you know, let's spread the love of God to each other. Do you know anyone that talks that way? I, I don't talk that way. I want to talk that way. I want that to be the greatest reality. I know he didn't have a family. It's, it, there's, that's a, we've talked about that a little bit, so maybe, his, maybe that was easier. Who cares? Think about his life, what he endured, and everything that he went through because he was so captivated by a love of God that was stronger than deference, death and stronger than anything else. And that's what I want, to live that type of surrendered, sacrificial lifestyle where there isn't anything that I'm hanging on to. That word cling, this is worth mentioning, where he says, well, I'm still clinging to Christ. Usually when I think about cling, I think like white knuckle it and like survival mode. That word cling is the deepest and intense yearning or the concentrated desire that abandons all other interests with outstretched hands in expectation. I'm going to cling to Christ. I want to, be, I want to be that close to him at all times. And not so that just I can make sense of all the bad stuff that's happening. It's like it doesn't matter what's happening, right? Nothing, be, a, be a, a person and a company of people that nothing moves us off of faith, hope, and love. Bill said a couple of things that I, that I think are worth mentioning. He had said, uh, you know, talking about spiritual warfare and our mind and our heart and stuff. He said, you can't go in warfare where you first haven't gone in intimacy. Think about that. I love that thought because we want to go, right? I mean, speaking to most of the guys in the room, we just want to charge the battlefield and, you know, and slash everything. Usually that's not where warfare starts. So there's got to be, if I'm not moving in love towards the people that are deeming Jesus and the church as irrelevant and non-essential, then I'm part of the problem. Like new covenant priests, we step into this gap. Bill said something else that really struck me too. In dealing with, a, dealing with unbelief and fear and doubt and all these other things that happen, he was talking in the context of prayer and fasting. And he said, show me a people that fast and pray without a crisis and I'll show you a people that are the answer in the crisis. We've got lots of crises around, 
but can we be an answer to one on a constant basis? And I believe we can. We choose surrender over explanation. I think about one of my favorite stories, and we'll, start, we'll keep moving forward, is Acts 16, where Paul and Silas are thrown in prison unjustly on a path and then unjustly thrown into prison, beaten. I mean, you think about the worst treatment and probably thinking, well, this wasn't how this was supposed to go, right? And what starts to happen? They start to sing and praise and worship. When I'm in a place of worship and we're singing these songs to Jesus, I imagine like maybe they were singing that. What was it that came out of them? And a worship that was so powerful, it was released an earthquake, read the story, that shook the prison to its core. All the doors of the prison came flying open and everybody's chains fell off from their worship in one of the worst mistreatments and injustices ever. And the jailer runs in like, what do I got to do to be saved? Think about that. Like, you know, we had a biblical precedent for that. What would it look like? I mean, I want to be able to get to a point like that. I mean, the, the greatest inconvenience I suffer was when there's four people ahead of me in line at the bank. <laughs> right? Well, I, don't, I don't live in that type of persecution. Would I, can I get my life to a point where whether that's the case or whether this is the case, that that's, that's what comes out of me, right? When I'm squeezed, just Jesus just sprays out. And that kind of worship... <laughs> yeah, that was funny. It wasn't supposed to be funny. Worship that cracks the jail open. Worship that cracks society open. Francis Chan said, my kids don't need a dad that'll play it safe. My kids need a dad that's willing to sacrifice everything for the gospel. And that's a guy that lives it. I want to read a poem for you out of my personal treasury. I've kept this poem for years. Just close your eyes and I'm going to read it. We're going to finish with this because this to me encapsulates this love that we're talking about. That's not just for us, but it's for our families. It's for our valley. It's for our systems, for our society. Let me just read this over you. While the fire of God is falling, while the voice of God is calling, brothers, get the flame. While the torch of God is burning, men's weak efforts overturning, Christians, get the flame. While the Holy Ghost is pleading, human methods superseding, he himself the flame. While the power hard hearts is bending, yield thy own to him surrendering, all to get the flame. For the world at last is waking, and beneath his spell is breaking into living flame. And our glorious Lord is seeking human hearts to rouse the sleeping, fired with heavenly flame. If in utter self-surrender you would work with Christ, remember, you must get the flame. For the sake of bruised and dying in the lost and darkness lying, we must get the flame. For the sake of Christ in glory and the spreading of the story, we must get the flame. O my soul, for thy refining and thy clearer, brighter shining, do not miss the flame. On the Holy Ghost relying, simply trusting and not trying, you will get the flame. Brothers, let us cease our dreaming, and while God's flood tide is streaming, we will have the flame. This was a poem used by Evan Roberts in the Welsh Revival in 1904, titled Message to the Churches. This is what I'm asking for. I'm just going to pray over you guys, and then we'll stand. Father, I'm asking 
today that you would release a fresh baptism of your love for us, a love that's stronger than death, a love that crushes every trace of fear, intimidation, unbelief, hope deferred, and every amount of heart sickness. Jesus, you are the cure of all ills, and the gospel is the cure for our lives and for society. So I'm asking that today, that the fear of the Lord would war over our souls, that the zeal for your house would consume us, and the joy of our salvation would be our strength. We'd be a people of your word and of prayer. Give us the spirit of prayer. And I ask that you continually give us a a fresh anointing. I've heard it said, gifts can fill the room, but anointing breaks the yoke. We need a, our anointing doesn't have an expiration date, but Father, let us step into a, a new understanding of what it is that you've deposited upon us, Lord, in us and on us for the sake of our families and our communities. I thank you for your love. There's nothing stronger in the universe than your love and your blood, the finished work of the cross. I thank you. I bless everyone in this house, bless everyone that's listening today. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Just stand for a second. We're going to take, we're going to activate this. Just take a deep breath. I believe that revival can be, can be uh, defined by many different ways. And one of them is just a fresh obedience to God. Just fresh obedience. Where have I been disobedient? And the revival that we're looking for is on the other side of the depth of our repentance. So I'm going to ask a couple of questions. Just close your eyes. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You anoint our heads with oil. I ask that you anoint everyone in this room right now. I thank you, Lord. Questions. Where do I have any hope deferred or heart sickness hanging around? I don't think the answer is going to take long to come. If it's there, what is it? Where have I been disobedient and unfaithful? Where has my love gone cold? And what is one action step that I can take this week to pull the weeds out of my garden, to move towards others in love, to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, and fall more in love with Jesus. What is one action step? Just one. Only takes one, right? Simple obedience changes history. So what's one thing that I could do to fall more in love with Jesus and have that released to others? Take some time with those. The revival we're seeking and the reformation we're after is happening. And I believe even the reformation is not limited to how we do church. It's actually about how we understand God and recovery of lost truth. Every reformation that's happened in history was a result of recoveries of lost truth. And I thank you, Lord. Help us to understand who you are and embrace the mystery. In Jesus' name, amen.